All right, we have Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law, of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. All right, well, we, uh, we have a guest preacher today, which is my friend, Philip Pip Craighead. Did you, how many people know Pip? How many people know that that's short for Philip? Like one, two, yeah, his parents do. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. That's a relief. I'd be concerned. I would be concerned. Uh, yeah, if you don't know Pip, Pip is, actually he stole my job at Door of Hope Southeast. Uh, I used to be the, the community groups pastor there when it was just Door of Hope, and uh, he snaked it from me, and so I had no choice but to start a rival church uh, over here. Um, <laughs> It was a real sign of maturity on my part. Um, it was a parable of forgiveness. <laughs> uh, no, that's not exactly how it happened, but uh, I did have the privilege of working with Pip for a few years and uh, got to lovingly uh, uh, hand over the community groups ministry to him. He's now your alpha and communications and a few other things over there. Um, but Pip is an amazing guy. If you don't know him, he, he's a... a tender, loving, uh, humble, wise man that um, I'm, I'm really privileged to know. Uh, he's also just really gifted. He's a musician, a visual artist, uh, novelist now. I'm, I'm almost finished with his novel, which is really good, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's a gift. Um, just he's got more talent in any random thing he points at than I feel like I do in my whole life. Uh, and it's a real honor to have you with us. So he's going he's gonna to join in on our, uh, the series we've been doing here, and, uh, and it'll be a blessing. So thanks for being with us, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
Cool. Is this, uh, there we go. Thank you very much. Um, so I'll Venmo you later for that. Thank you very much. Um, very honored to be here. Cameron has been so kind to me over the years. Just a, a wonderful friend. Even when I just, before I came on staff at Door of Hope, once I came on staff, and then when I usurped his job, he was very gracious about it, very kind. Um, no, he has been so kind. He set me up for success in that job as he was getting ready to plant here, and I just feel so grateful to be here. Um, yeah, just so honored to, to be asked to speak here. And today, we'll actually be talking about community. So, uh, it was the community group's pastor. That was Cameron's job. That's a job I took from him. That's a job I took over, and then somebody took it from me. So turnabout is fair play. Uh, but we will be talking about community. And you know, that, that passage that we just talked about, uh, that was just read for us, Ephesians 2, there's a lot going on in that passage. It, there's a lot of complexity there, but we're specifically going to look at the thread of community, the thread of community in that. And, you know, this is part of the series that you guys have been doing on common goods, on God's common grace, all, all these gifts He's given us. And one of those gifts is community, living life together. So I want to talk about three specific things, three specific things. Um, one is a common longing, the fact that we all want community. Secondly, a common brokenness, the fact that we are all messed up, and a new family, the idea that the church is a family that lasts. So we're going to talk about all that, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about how we live that out. So firstly, a common longing. You know, have you ever been alone at home, and you just put the TV on, you just put on a show, just to feel like there's some life in the room, just to hear human voices? And there's this whole kind of social phenomenon of background TV, of people watching shows in the background. And there's various reasons people may do that, talk about productivity and stuff. But one of them is just the sheer reality of loneliness, of just living alone in these little box houses and wanting to put something on in the background. I mean, I feel like I've just heard, I've heard quite a few people talking about putting The Office specifically on the background, or Friends, uh, just to feel like there's like life in the room. And you know, that is, I'm guessing, uh, I'm very confident I can say that in most past societies, not having people around wasn't too much of a problem. They didn't have an issue of like, oh, there's nobody around. I'd imagine a lot of times it's like, oh, there's too many people around. I need a break. But we have an issue of like not having enough people around in some ways. So I've read different statistics, but one recent Harvard um, report said that at least one in three Americans say they are seriously lonely. Seriously lonely. That's 60% of college students, specifically, actually, and then 51% of moms with small children. And the reality is we're made for community. Everybody knows it. And to some extent, our city is all about it, at least ostensibly. And the need for community is especially sharp for us because we are living in one of the most lonely, disconnected societies in history, if not the most lonely and disconnected society in history, which is so ironic because we're also in the most hyper-connected society in terms of like news, the internet, all this stuff. But we find ourselves hungering for community that we, we want, but we don't actually know how to find or where to find. You know, even just thinking about Portland specifically, Portland is a city of subcultures in a lot of ways. It prides itself on being alternative. And subcultures, you know, what is a subculture but a longing to connect with other people around a certain set of shared values? And that can be signified by the way you dress, the way you act, the music you listen to. You know, you even just think of like, just 
people's devotion to bands and musical sub subcultures, the way people don't just like, oh, I, I enjoy listening to this music, but like, for instance, punk rock. Punk rock is something which kind of classically is not just like, oh, it's some music I listen to from time to time. It's something you are, oh, or that's something that's so punk, or the way people dress, just like building their whole lives around a specific meaning-giving center. Um, I mean, you know the, the phenomenon when somebody's wearing a shirt for something perhaps obscure, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's such and such, and the person lights up like, oh, there's a sense of kinship, of knowing, of we both get this thing. We share this bond. Or in Portland and beyond, there's like the zine world, which is like people who do little, it's like specifically comics and zines and that kind of thing. And it's characterized by creativity and like a do-it-yourself spirit and a lot of BO, which if you guys have ever been to a zine <laughs> conference, there's a tremendous amount of BO. And I, I'm into it. I'm part of it. But, um, and there's also a sense of rejection of being uh, an outsider. That's something people bond over in those worlds. Or even just people playing ridiculous sports. You think of like kickball leagues or like the kind of things that happen in the park over there. People like bonding over this thing. Uh, sports in general is a good example of that. This kind of like extreme devotion, well, devotion in varying degrees, but devotion to a particular sport and finding meaning and like broader life purpose through it. Uh, even just hike, the way, you know, you think of the way you dress. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of GORPCORE. Has anybody ever heard of GORPCORE? It stands for, GORP, G-O-R-P, stands for Good Old Raisins and Peanuts. And it's, the, it's like people who wear, which people here, right, wear Patagonia and stuff. You always look like you're ready for a hike. That's characterized, look it up, I'm not crazy. It's characterized as GORPCORE. Um, or man, you think of something all over the place, lawn signs. You know that one lawn sign, it's like a secular creed, in this house we believe, and has a list of things, and there's a sense of identification, like these are my values, this is what's important to me. Um, we need community. We're designed for it. Uh, and generally speaking, we lose our minds without community. Uh, point in case, the year 2020, if at any point you logged onto Facebook or Instagram, you know what I'm talking about. And if you ever really doubt that people are messed up, if you're ever kind of doubting the Christian doctrine of sin, just go on Facebook and just scroll through your feed, and you'll, you'll come to agreement very quickly, very quickly. There's danger in isolation. And you know, you often think of like in the news, people who commit really dark crimes, whether it's mass shootings or whatever, they are uh, almost invariably disconnected from actual human community, whether that's the Unabomber living off in a cabin in Montana, uh, sending off bombs to people that he, he views as like part of a technological construct, or people whose only real community is like online message boards. That it, those are the only people they share their inner worlds with. People who do those kind of things are deeply disconnected from community. And it goes back to Genesis 2, where God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Why is that? Where does that come from? Why did God design us for others? that self-reliance is actually not the way, what we are designed for. And you know, Jesus, in John 17, he talk, he's talking in a prayer. He talks to his father. He said, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And as Christians, the belief in the Trinity means that God is a community within, within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existent, eternally in communion within himself. So it makes sense that we human beings are made in God's image, and our longing for community reflects that, reflects the image of the God we're made for. We're made for and the fact that we're made for people. We're made to be with other people in community with God and others. And yet we look around and we look within and we see this area of our lives is so broken. 
whether that's thinking of shattered friendships or families where certain people don't talk to one another anymore, or divorce, or people living in just complete isolation, or even you just get on the highway and you drive and you see just like how a group of people are function in this kind of mass gathering and how we treat one another and how angry we often get. There's a common brokenness. We are all messed up. You know, if you can trace this biblical theme of community, one of my favorite things just to look at the Bible is tracing certain themes and seeing how they kind of go throughout Scripture, the kind of arc of where they go. And if you look at community specifically, you see this Edenic communion with God, that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, and you see that shattered by Adam and Eve's sin, their rebellion against God. And sin has both horizontal effects and vertical effects. Horizontal between one another, our relationship with one another gets messed up. And then vertical, our relationship with God gets messed up. There's brokenness. And even our relationship to nature itself is tainted. And after Genesis, right after the Genesis 3, where you see Adam and Eve's fall, immediately comes Genesis 4, where there's the first murder, a brother killing a brother. And the problem isn't just that it's hard to live in peace with other people. It's also that we can find community in the wrong places in the wrong places. Our God-given desires become distorted, and our desire for community can be warped. Uh, some examples of that, I mean, even just think of like warring political tribes. You think of politics, particularly like branches of politics, where people become so passionate, and they become united in their distaste for other people, and their distaste for the other side. You think of, man, neo-Nazis, Antifa, Proud Boys, all these kind of variations of dark political ideologies those are people looking for identity. I have a friend who was actually just recently sharing that he at one point fell in with a group of neo-Nazis, um, and, he real, and he said explicitly he was looking, he was coming out of a cult, and he was like looking for community, and so he kind of fell in with this, and he kind of woke up and realized what this thing was and got out of it. But people are looking for identity. They're looking for family. You think that's what gangs are. Gangs are like a twisted, kind of a twisted sense of family. That's what they're grounded in. Even just thinking about, I was, I've been reading a lot about the Russian Revolution recently, just out, of, just out of interest, and it's so interesting to hear the history of communist nations. This, they're founded on this idea, ostensibly, of having everything in common, this sense of um, living community, communally and equally. You know, Marxist, the kind of phrase they would often use is comrade, calling one another comrade. But still, it is still people oppressing other people in the same old familiar ways, just using different words. You think about war in general, too. Like war, you think of, when you think of war, you think of conflict. But also, there is a unity in war because each side has this unity against others. And soldiers feel connected within a community, even though that community may be founded about, about oppressing or attacking other people. Community is hard. And in fact, a truly peaceful, sustainable community is impossible without God. It's impossible. Because a picture of human beings that the Bible gives is not that we are troubled but essentially good and all we need to do is really kind of pull it together and rally together and make it happen. The Bible says we're actually sinners in need of a savior. And history, human history itself, shows us, us people longing for lasting community that they cannot find or basing their community on destructive things and eventually that will evaporate too. Because ultimately whatever community we find outside of God, even if it seems like an ostensibly good community, ostensibly for doing good things, ultimately it will be undone. Ultimately it will be undone because death undoes all things. It undoes every earthly community just as it does, undoes every earthly family. We all die and even if we tell ourselves stories about like, well, these people live on in our hearts, eventually those hearts too will die, will end. 
Ephesians, just in that verse, Ephesians 2.12, gives us an evaluation of sorts of ourselves outside Jesus. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So the Bible shows us the story of Adam and Eve, all humanity, essentially going into exile for our sin, and then God chooses a specific people to be his own, Israel, he bring, to bring about redemption and bless all nations. And then in Jesus, he actually invites all people into that. Everyone's invited into God's family in that. And you know, Ephesians is speaking specifically in the context of Jews and Gentiles in the early church, saying that Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, had been grafted into God's people. Jew or Gentile, through Jesus, were all invited into a community that will never perish. In a sense, we are all outside in the cold, kind of huddled in the cold, even if we didn't realize it, and have now been brought into a huge mansion filled with warmth and riches and were made members of God's own family. And that's an everlasting family. That's an everlasting family, a new family. Ephesians 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So uh, last week I was actually in Japan, which that's the first time I've ever said that. It's a great feeling to say that. But I saw this, this I was in a supermarket and they had this cola, this, uh, a natural craft cola it was called. And it had a promise, a little promise on it in English. And it said, natural cola has the power of recovering humanity. And it was all caps. <laughs> and you know, a lot of stuff in our world makes promises it can't fulfill, whether it's just like, right, sex or money or con consumerism or substance abuse or whatever, but usually it's a lot more subtly than on that cola bottle. It's usually not quite that explicit. And to be fair, I didn't have the cola, so maybe it does work, and I'm, I'm wrong, so, and that's, yeah, that's my problem. Uh, but nothing in the world can actually fix us the way we need, which is the whole point of why Jesus entered, right? And that's actually what Jesus is about in some sense, is recovering humanity. He comes in order to recover for us what it means to be truly human, truly made in the image of God. That communion with God that we're talking about, that horizontal and vertical communion with God and each other that was shattered in Eden is now remade in the cross, horizontally and vertically. Ephesians 2, 13 talks about, or yeah, 13 through 22, the rest of that passage, the passage talks, it gives us kind of a diagnosis of what people are outside of God, where we're at. And then it talks about the, the, all that we have been given, that we are, get access in one spirit to the Father, that we're no longer strangers and aliens, that we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the cornerstone of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see in that we were foreigners, but now we're citizens. We were strangers, but now we're members of his household. And more than like, what something is mind-boggling to me is more than just living in his house, it's not just God in a sense invites us into his house. It actually says we're his holy temple. He makes us the dwelling of his spirit. The Holy Spirit, the comfort, he's always with us. So in a sense, it, what, what I think is so beautiful is it goes from we're completely removed outside, and then we're not just brought inside, but we're actually made his own. He actually enters into us. You know, when you think of what Jesus did, you know, we can think of, okay, he forgives our sins, and we can almost think of it as like, okay, he gives us a reset or a blank slate, which the reality is being flawed people, being sinners, 
we'll still mess it up again. If I'm given a blank slate, I'm going to mess the slate up again. But actually, Jesus does more than that. He brings us into an intimate, reconciled relationship with God. He calls us friends. And even more so than friends, he calls us family, his children. Children. Romans 8 says that we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons, by, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba fathers. We're children. We're heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you like kind of just zoom out on what the Bible is saying, and it's really mind-boggling to think, okay, we rebelled against God. We actually literally killed him, and in response, he doesn't just forgive us. He brings us into his home and makes us heirs. You know, he gives us all the rights and privileges of what it means to be a child of God. It's radical. It's radical. And you think about what is a family supposed to be. And we all have families. We all have flawed families. And we can often just concentrate, think about what the flaws are. But think about what a family is truly intended to be. It's supposed to be a home, right? A place where you learn what it is to be human, what that means, what that looks like, how to function and interact with others. It's a context for all human life, life to exist. Because if it weren't for family, none of us would be here. The world dies within a generation. It's a place of intimacy. It's supposed to be a place where you can kind of let it all hang out and relax. It's a place where you actually learn what love is for the first time. And God invites us into his own family. And that's for everybody. Jew or Greek, male or female, rich or poor, single or married, with kids or without, we're all in the same boat in Christ. We're equally co-heirs with him. And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. Is it's not just like we're comrades. We're not just work partners. We're not just on a common mission. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. And the early church lived that out radically. Uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, like, like Cameron was reading. And you think of Pentecost as a picture of a group of disparate, diverse people being brought together in community. They're all gathered there. The Holy Spirit comes. They begin to speak in other tongues in different languages, and people hear them speaking in those different languages, speaking the praise of God. And you know, th something I think is beautiful to think about is the Tower of Babel early on in Genesis, pretty soon after the fall, relatively speaking, right? There's uh, people have a common language, and they unite together to do something that is actually, it, that is raising itself up against God, and God scatters their languages, and they're scattered over the earth. And you think of that, Pentecost is a reversal of that, an inversion of that. You have at Babel, people are unified against God and their tongues are divided. And at Pentecost, you have people unified for God and those diverse tongues are used in a unified harmony. So there's diversity, but with, it, with unity. And you think of even just what the gift of tongues is in the New Testament. It's talked about a gift for, as communion with God and edifying others with com in community, telling God's, like sharing God's message within community. And that's a reminder that God is a God who communicates and he wants community with us, and he wants us to be edified in community with one another. One of those themes that I've talked about, like just tracing through the Bible, one of my favorite themes to think about is looking for home, the theme of home, of people again and again and again, from Adam and Eve being cast out to Abraham and onwards, for people longing for a lasting home. And you know, we all long for home one way or another. Even if we look for it in the strangest of places, in the, in looking for the right things in the wrong places sometimes, we long for home. And that longing for home and even for family finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God for all of us, with God and with each other. And it doesn't, and it, it doesn't just happen off in the future. It starts now. 
not just an eternity, but eternity in a sense starts now. The early church shows that. In the early church in Acts, you see them meeting from house to house, breaking bread together, share, like selling their goods and distributing it to help people as one, anyone has needs. Christians were known for this. There's a, there's a letter from a pagan philosopher, a Roman pagan philosopher, and he's complaining about Christians taking care of not just one another, but taking care of pagans too. In a sense, he's like upset about it because he's, he's clearly not a friend of Christianity, but he says in a sense, we're being put to shame by these people. And that's what family does, isn't it? Family takes care of one another. And this family doesn't just take care of one another. They invite other people in to become part of that family. So knowing those things, how do we live that out? Well, we live together, not apart. Live together, not apart. And I want to talk about three aspects of that, of just what Christian community is. Firstly, it's an image of a different kingdom. It's an image of a different kingdom. And then I'm going to talk about community as a way God takes care of us, and then community as a witness to that different ki kingdom. So, a picture of a different kingdom. And it, you look around in our city, you don't have to look too far. You don't have to necessarily even look past your own heart. But people are lonely. You know, you think of the way that cities, even just our cities are built, that we all live in these little silos. Our homes are these kind of little si silos off of, off of different streets. And actually, it can actually feel like when you're trying to live communi in community with other people, you're working against kind of the grain of how a city is built, how the suburbs are built especially, but just in general. Um, and in many ways, I think instead of God and just broader community, what our society has put the primary weight of relational fulfillment on is romance. Mar so marriages and relationships get strained to provide everything that actually is supposed to be provided through God and a broader uh, web of connections with other people. One person, none of us, can provide all the things that friends and family and mentors and God can do, are supposed to do. You know, you even just think about pop songs, like just pop love songs, how they speak of romantic relationships oftentimes as being everything somebody needs. As it's a sense of uh, a means of salvation. Because the truth is, if we, when we don't know God, we're still made to yearn for a transcendent relationship, one that transcends death, is everlasting, to be known and loved fully, to be loved beyond death. But what we do as is, is humans, in, especially in a uh, society where our broader relationships, our broader community has been kind of worn thin, is we end up putting all that weight on another fragile, mortal human who will inevitably let us down because we're all subject to sin and death, right? And I think that's one of the challenges we have in this current time in this, in this society, right? But another challenge in 2023 is the effect of the last three years. This church, Dwarf Hope Northeast, is one whose, you know, first two years of church life were shaped during the fragmentation of COVID. And in a lot of ways, while we've gotten back to, to normal to some extent, COVID still has, like, accelerated people's connection and loneliness. I've heard it said that, like, what basically those COVID did in our society's reaction to COVID and all that, kind of, all that kind of swirl of things that happened together is it accelerated trends that were already happening. And I think a lot of ways we see that, right? Living together in peace is a challenge to any society, but I think we have a particularly unique challenge in Western society because it's actually structured so it's way easier to glide along through life without talking to people, kind of staying in little bubbles of we get in our cars, we get in our boxes and go to other boxes, right? We go shopping, we don't have to talk to anyone. We, can even, we don't even have to talk to a, a cashier if we want. We can just go to the, uh, the automated cashier, right? And yeah, you can talk to people at work, but you can work from home and not necessarily have to like interact with other people much. Come home, don't have to know your neighbors. It can feel weird to get to know your neighbors. Uh, I remember being in an apartment in, 
in Portland and even just in this one complex, I remember like trying to talk to people, just start a conversation. It felt like I was trying to sell them uh, Tupperware or something. It felt like a, you see somebody in the, in the hall, you try to talk to them and you know, the kind of reaction's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, just, just want to get home. <laughs> and you know, so we have these rhythms, okay, work, go off to work, live in bubbles, you know, go shopping, whatever, come home, watch TV, sleep and repeat. And that's not being a human, ultimately. That's not what being a human is about. God made us to live in community. Again, not just in eternity, but now. So we're called not to live in silos like the world around us and just white-knuckle our way through life until we die and then experience true community. We're called to live with others now and see what that's like now. It's hard, but it's worth it. You know, working in a church, I think one of the saddest kinds of emails that I receive or that I see is people who have no community, have no broader community, when they're thrown into a crisis, and then they reach out. And one, it's great they're reaching out. I'm like so glad about that. But it is heartbreaking when you receive those emails from people who have had no community built up whatsoever, and then life hits them on the back of the head with something heavy, and then they're just like, ah, I need people, but I have nobody. Nobody actually really knows me, or very few people know me. It's a heartbreaking thing. Don't wait until you're in crisis mode to build community. Don't wait till you're in crisis mode. You know, it's like climbing a mountain. You don't wait till you're in free fall to fasten your safety rope to your fellow climbers who can help you. We need one another. And that's why the, a lot of the New Testament is filled with instructions for believers on how to live together in peace. It's what we're called to. And interestingly, community is a way that God takes care of us, by which I mean that the community of the church is actually one of the primary means by which God ministers to us. You know, I think of... I think probably the most, one of the most formative experiences of, of church as family I have had in my life was age 25 or right around then. I remember I was, so I was in school, uh, I was in grad school, and a whole bunch of stuff happened at once for me. I, let's see, a dude I knew through ministry actually killed two people and killed himself, which is brutal. This girl I was dating, we broke up, very confusing. She thought I broke up with her, I thought she broke up with me. Very confusing breakup. I left school. Uh, I was going through like theological confusion. I moved out. I got laid off my job for a false accusation. It was all within the space of a couple months. And it was like pretty, and incidentally, that was around the time of like the, the 2008 financial meltdown. That wasn't top of my mind, but it was a nice little icing on the cake. Um, and that time, I was pretty destroyed in a lot of ways. I believed in God. I didn't like come to a point where I'm like, I don't believe any of this. But I remember praying and not feeling any sense of God's presence at that time. I felt pretty, I think in a lot of ways, my, my kind of nerve endings were just shot, as it were. Uh, but God's people were very kind to me. I had some beautiful friends and just friends and family, people who, who loved Jesus. They would love me. They took care of me. And I got involved with church community. I put in a lot of, put down a lot of roots and over time, I felt better, and I, like, recovered. But I remember thinking for a while, for about a year, thinking, ah, but I still don't understand. I'm doing much better now, but I still don't understand well, when, I, when I went through all that, when I was praying, that I didn't necessarily feel God's presence the way I yearned for it. And then I realized, about a year or two later, I realized, oh, God's Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is in His people, and God's people ministered to me. So God very much ministered to me and took care of me throughout that time, like, 
in a really beautiful way, in a way that I, in a, during a time in which I think kind of my kind of spiritual uh, sensors were just kind of burned out. I was just kind of blasted, but I was taken care, care of in very practical, beautiful ways. And that was the Lord taking care of me. And that's what community is supposed to be. That's what community is supposed to be. So, the picture we have in Acts is a picture of that. The Holy Spirit dwelling in his people and, practic- and taking care of one another through one another. You know, the New Testament talks about Christians even just having communal meals. Uh, one of the phrases used in Jude actually is love feasts. And it's a picture of life together. And it's actually those meals shared together are anticipation of the great meal that happens at the end of Revelation, the wet, uh, wedding supper of the Lamb. And when we get together with one another, when we love one another, we're anticipating, we're being a picture of what God's coming kingdom looks like. And part of taking care of one another is the absolutely vital task of keeping each other awake. You know, I like to th- I think of uh, the world in a sense. You know, it's kind of like a dark fairy tale where we're kind of continually being cast into an enchantment. We're continu- the world's kind of continually telling us that this life is all there is, that we, can just put, we should put first our own immediate comfort or security. Those things are more important than eternal things. Like God doesn't really care what we do. Jesus isn't really coming back. And we're kind of told that. We're kind of lulled into that and again and again. And part of our job as Christians is to keep each other awake. We need to nudge each other, keep each other awake. There's a I'm going to use probably the least relatable and most niche example I can think of. But there's a game I, we play in my home uh, where my little boy and I, it's called the hot dog game. Uh, and if anybody else plays my game, that would be eerie. Please talk to me after. Because my little boy and I pretend to be hot dogs. We're brothers in, it, in, in this game. We kind of scrunch our, we, we, this is how we walk. So we're hot dogs, and my wife is the hot dog catcher. And she goes around looking for a hot dog to eat, and she has like a little imaginary, uh, like a little heater that she heats up, the, heats up each, she'll catch a hot dog, heat it up, and prepare to eat it. And the game, in the game, one of us, usually my son, will, I'll, the hot dog is be, about to be eaten, start, starts to kind of lose consciousness and acquiesce, like, okay, I'm about to be eaten. And the other, other hot dog, his job is to go, no, 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 we're brothers, we're brothers, we're brothers. And the hot dog kind of snaps away, goes, yeah, we're brothers, and he runs away. And I think that's a picture of what we're supposed to be doing here. In a sense, family reminding each other of who we are, of what reality is. And that is a vital role in our, of, for us in the church, not jumping around pretending to be hot dogs. That's a cult. <laughs> but <laughs> reminding each other who we are and what kingdom we're a part of and what family we're a part of. Because community is really a witness of a different kingdom. It's saying something. You know, if you're here as a believer in Jesus, right, Jesus gave us all a job very clearly. If we're wondering, like, what is my purpose in life? Jesus gave us a specific job to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all he commanded us. And he says he's going to be with us. So we're called to invite other people into the kingdom that we've been invited into. We're supposed to live, essentially, each of us is supposed to be an embassy of the kingdom. And together, this place right now, this is supposed to be an embassy. Every church that believes in Jesus is supposed to be an embassy of the kingdom of God in whatever specific city we're in. And one of the prime ways that the reality that Jesus is king is manifested is when people live as if he is king. 
you know, how, I don't know how many of you heard, have heard, I don't know all your background, obviously, but like I've heard so many stories of people who come to know Jesus, and the way they did is they began to hang out with Christians. Initially, they didn't believe. Initially, maybe they thought it was silly, but these people seem nice. And the more and more they spend time with Christians, the more and more they find Christianity, that what Christians believe, is plausible. Gradually, it makes more and more sense. And it, that is, I believe that's because, one, the Holy Spirit is drawing them, but also the Spirit living in His people in a way that reflects Jesus' kingdom. That's like saying, hey, there's a different way of life. There's a different kingdom. A different life is possible. And it becomes more and more like, oh, okay. I, I see that. I see that being played out. I see these differences. Why are these differences so? Our life of community is different than the world. You know, you even just think of many ways like what, so we've talked about a culture of disconnection and you know, it, it's pretty easy to just go on Instagram and even just see the kind of like kind of self-care mode of morality that's out there where you, if people are difficult to deal with, if you've had a bad experience with somebody, you cut them out and you just kind of keep going. But we're called to love one another with perseverance and that is increasingly I think will be a radical way of life to love one another even when it's difficult, even when it's unpleasant. But it's really the only way to live. You know, I think we're in a culture right now where we're supposed to find our primary identity, the sense in, in the broader culture is to find our primary identity in terms of our sexuality, our nationality, our ethnicity, our political persuasion, whatever, like all sorts of variations in being an artist and what we do for work or whatever it is, all these variations. But if you're a Christian, our primary identity, my primary identity is that we're God's children because of what God, Jesus did on the cross. And what's so beautiful about that, especially you think of in terms of this community, in terms of any community of Christians, is that you're gonna, that is going to force you, if you're living that out, to be around different people, around people from diverse backgrounds. Because, you know, it's great to hang out with people with shared interests, with similar backgrounds, you can relate easily, you kind of speak the same language. That's great. But the beauty of the church is that you actually hang out with people who are different from you in a lot of ways. It might even be difficult, uh, different than you in difficult ways. Different personality types, different backgrounds, all, different cultures, all that kind of thing. But you share the same core thing, which is that you belong to Christ and you will always be family. Even when everything else passes away, all the other things we try to build our lives on will pass away. But the prime thing is that we are family. And you think, how can we do this? This, this feels daunting. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, one immediate step is to check out the website. <laughs> Just check out the Dorf Hope Northeast website. There's community groups. I know they're not going on right now, but they'll resume in September. But community groups or book clubs. There's a monthly calendar of, of events. Or just talk to Cameron. But those are immediate primary steps, like a kind of official things in place for you to kind of find out what it means to live in community, to get, go deeper in that. But also, sharing life in community doesn't just mean the official ways, but also it means living life in the interstitial spaces, in the in-between spaces. You know, if you want to, this is something I've kind of like had to, to work through, you know, if you, because I love reading books, but it can also be hard to read books. It can be hard to find time. It can feel way easier to turn on TV. And so life as a reader, I've realized like, okay, if you want to read books, if you want to be a reader, and you just wait for huge chunks of time to appear, you won't read much. Those huge chunks of time are not likely to appear. And even if you know the feeling where you like have a big chunk of time scheduled, usually other stuff eats that up pretty quick. So the way if you want to be a reader is to, to make that happen, 
to, to grease the wheels for that is to carry a book with you and use all the little interstitial spaces in your life, whether you're like waiting in the car or getting early to an appointment, hanging at home while your kids play, is to find those little small spaces and fill those spaces with the thing that you want to be doing. And so it is with community. You know, like if you want to spend, live more life with other people, find the spaces in your life where that's a possibility. Not just the big spaces, right? And having like a particular night of the, meet, you, night of the week that you meet with community group, that's, that's great and that's key. But also finding these like little bits here and there where you can actually plug that in. Of course, I'm not saying you want to spend every waking moment with other people necessarily, but there are so many moments in our lives which are actually ripe to turn into moments of community and connection. Whether that's just sharing meals. Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be late, working late tomorrow. I'll see if there's somebody around in the neighborhood who maybe wants to grab a meal after, after work. We're going to concerts together, going to the park, going grocery shopping together. You know, if there's something that you're gonna do that you could do with another person, why not invite them? Invite another person in the community, reach out. The worst, worst things that can happen is they say no, or it's awkward, and that's okay if it's awkward. And it probably will be awkward in ways as you adjust to kind of new rhythms of life. Because like I said, our society is kind of, in, in many ways, it is strangely just built against having deep community with other people, but that is what we long for. That is what we long for. We're meant to do life and just daily tasks of life together. If you're a young family, that can feel pr particularly hard. You know, it can feel particularly challenging, the idea of living out community, and it can feel very tempting to silo. But the reality is our primary allegiance as Christians is not even supposed to be our own biological families, but it's supposed to be God's family, right? So our own biological families, we want to have those families be actually integrated into the broader family, the forever family that we're a part of. And again, there's this cultural vortex, this kind of pull towards isolation, and sidebar, it's fine, maybe like a, a borderline conspiracy vibe side, sidebar. Now you're all listening, you're like, what's he gonna say? <laughs> is it's, it's financially remunerative for all these, for companies, for you to stay home and watch TV and order things on Amazon and not go out, right? Like, there's definitely a reason why there's a pull socially in a broader way towards isolation and self-sufficiency, but that's not supposed to be normal. That's not supposed to be normal, and it's not good for you. It's not good for me, it's not, and it's not good for the kingdom. We need community, and commu our community needs us, needs you. That's what community is made out of. So that is certainly not a reason to like feel bad if you wind up staying at home at some particular time. It is hard to get kids out the door, absolutely. But resist the pull to isolate, resist the pull to isolate. And if it feels hard, if the community feels like a challenge, please keep going. We're designed, we live in a world that's designed against community even as it simultaneously hungers for it. And so it's gonna look increasingly radical for us to show hospitality, for us to invite people into our lives, for us to take steps to make that happen. And as you learn those new rhythms, there's different seasons, but I think in many ways, as we learn these new rhythms, things do become easier. Things will become easier. Part of fighting the good fight of faith is fighting for community, the community of faith, and fighting to be with one another and love one another. And the good news in all of this is that it's not ultimately up to us to just pull ourselves off by our bootstraps, right? Pentecost is one of the grand messages of Pentecost is God's own spirit is with us, is in us, and he's gonna enable us to make those things happen, right? It's the birth of the church. Jesus told his disciples to wait until they're endued with power from on high, because we need the Holy Spirit to make these things happen. And he's enabled us, he's given us a spirit to enable us to find community now. His spirit 
part of his work is to unify the body of Christ. You know, Jesus, there's one point in Matthew 12 where somebody says to Jesus, like, hey, your, your, uh, your mother and your brothers are outside wait, asking to speak to you. And Jesus stretches out his hands for his disciples and says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If we are Christians, if, if you here are a believer in Jesus, then you have a huge family all over the globe. All, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, we're all connected together. We get to be Jesus' family, which is a wild thing. And so now, I'm going to pray in a minute. Uh, the band will come up. But I want, to con- I want you to just consider, what might the Lord be prompting me? What comes up in my mind? What might the Spirit be bringing up that he's calling me to take action on? Or maybe do things a little differently? Or just ask him for? Whether that's new rhythms to incorporate into your life or community. Whether it's particular people who come to mind for you to reach out to, you haven't seen in a while, you know might be struggling. Someone perhaps you even need to reconcile. Maybe there's tension within community. We're called to forgive one another. Um, or maybe it's even ways that come to mind for you, things you even need to sacrifice in life to actually like, make community a priority. And there, there may be those things that are coming up right now. But I'm going to pray, and we'll just see what comes up.